about uh, a couple years ago, when um, Dom Nagoni, they decided they needed to put more things on Dom Nagoni, um, you know, going between Hemet and um, whatever, Marietta. As soon as they started doing construction over there on that road, we had a little tiny little thingy, that, that, that thing right there, slip in our back door. We had the sliding glass door open. Our dog had to use the restroom, you know, let the dog out, and next thing you know, this little thing comes in. But you know what happened? I don't know if it was something magically in the water, but it multiplied. And there wasn't just one. In, in six months, we had to kill 15. Me, my dog, my boys, my pellet gun, whatever it took. And when you look at rats, how many of us know when you wake up in the morning, sometimes maybe you see them running and, and you know, scurrying around the ground, right? Other times you can just see remains. And you see remains and that's it. See, spiritually this morning, and our theme exposed, is the devil, Satan, the liar, we can't see him. He's an enemy we can't see. But there, are one, there is one thing that we do see, and it's the remains and what he's out doing. Just like this little dirty, lovely thing. And so this morning we start and we begin to shift gears. I don't know if any of you have ever had a car you get to use and shift gears in, right? Isn't it fun when you're driving and shifting that gear, right? Going... Wait for it. My neighbor, he uh, he likes to collect cars, and he has this little white Volvo, and um, so he had it remodeled, redone, and redid the engine. <clears throat> and so he asked me one time if I want to drive it. I said, sure. It's a stick shift, and you know, when Kim and I first got together, we had the privilege of a few different stick shift cars, and I don't know if you've ever had one, but they're fun, right? Sure, you get to shift gears, going uphill, downhill, that good stuff. So as I'm in this little tiny car, this thing is tiny, teeny, tiny. It's almost like a matchbox, right? You barely fit in there, but it, you do. And I'm just going first to second, and every gear I shift, it peels out. Man, this car is just this little tiny car with so much power. And so this morning, we start to shift gears, and we have been in Adam and Eve, and we've dove into their life, the situation, and the moment to see what the devil did and what he used, lies and deception, and half-truths. Because how many of us know, if it's a, is a half-truth a truth to us, or is it a lie? Let's be honest, it's not a lie, right? So the devil will use lies, deceptions, and half-truths to change humanity, to change forever humanity. And so this morning as we shift gears, we get to look at another wonderful person. If you have your Bibles, we are going to go to Job, and we're going to go to chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. And it says this, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God, and he stayed away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. 
That's goals for me and Kim. He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He had many employees. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Skip into verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting, so fun to feast, right? At the older brother's house. The messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While, turn to your neighbor and say, while, oh my goodness, while he was still speaking, Another messenger arrived with the news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven, burned up your sheep, all the shepherds, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Verse 17. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with the news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and your daughters were feasting in the older brother's home. And suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed. All your children are dead. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Verse 20. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head and fell down to the ground in worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. Sorry, it's a little R-rated this morning. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. We skip down to Job chapter 2, starting in verse 7. And Satan left the Lord's presence. He struck Job with the terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only the good things that come from the hand of God and never anything bad? And all of this, he said nothing wrong. Such a crazy story. And there's one thing that I left out, and I left out for a reason. The Bible talks about in between when it introduces Job in Job chapter 1, that here is a righteous, blameless man. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. But then after this... It goes into a conversation between the devil and God. And as it goes into a conversation between the devil and God, it calls the devil something. It calls him the accuser. And if you were to look at this word in the original language, to bring the accuser is someone who brings a charge against somebody else. To accuse them, to judge them, to pass judgment to, as an, an opponent. An opponent to harass someone, to blackmail somebody. The devil, Satan, fallen angel, out of pride, he fell from heaven, rebellious in his heart towards God because he felt that he was God. He is an enemy of God and his sons and daughters. The devil, the accuser, wanting to stop the work of God, to attack, to attempt, to use lies, deception, half-truths, to get people to turn away from God. Revelation 12.10 says, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. 
It has come at last, salvation in the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. What does the devil describe as we shift gears this morning in our stories? Described as the accuser. Who's he accusing? Brothers, sisters in Christ, people, humanity, the devil who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. So five powerful, horrible things happened in this story today. This man was robbed, his oxen. In this day, you, you weren't rich by how much money you had in, in Chase, Bank of Hemet, or HCN Bank, no, new name, right? You weren't, you're not, back then they didn't have banks that, like the banks that we have, like Hemet, you second richest street on Florida Avenue, right? It was, it was awesome. And it still is. We're like, you know, you can just drive down Florida Avenue and be like, ah, it's so amazing. Anyway, back then, you were, the wealth that you had was by the animals that you carried, right? And so as Job is just minding his own business, he's soaking in the sunshine, he's laying out, he's getting tanned, he is sipping on cold iced tea. All of a sudden, his oxen get robbed, and his employees that were watching the oxen get killed. And as, as he's hearing this, another person shows up, and he says, Fire fell from the sky, burned up your sheep and the shepherds. And while he was still speaking, he says, Your camels, another man, all your camels, your source of travel, your BMW, Maserati, it's been stolen, and all the employees that were with them. And as he was speaking, another employee shows up. A powerful wind swept through the house, your oldest son's house, so that the wind caused all the walls to fall. All your ten children are dead. Lastly, Little time goes on, so he's, he's had a minute to breathe for a second, right? And probably breathing in that minute felt like an eternity. But next thing you know, after all that he saw, all that he lost, he's now inflicted with sores all over his body, head to toe, so that as he's inflicted with these sores, he gets pottery and he starts to scratch all the scars. Because I don't know, sometimes if you've ever been in that situation when you're in pain, you just wanna, you want to you wanna make it more painful, right? So we rip those scars and those things off so that blood can gush out and it's almost like a sense of relief. And here's where this guy finds himself. And so initially as we, th we think about this, so yeah, that's, that's a pretty bad day. That's a pretty bad day. If we were to lose all of our money, if we were to lose our 7,000, 10,000 animals, that's a bad day. To lose all of our kids, can you imagine? Ouch. So much happened in this moment. So much happened in this moment. And as you read this story, what's most powerful in this story, the very first thing, you know, is this guy loses everything. What did he say? I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. 
the Lord gave me what I had, and God has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. How about you? When I have a bad day, that's usually not the words that come out of my mouth, right? When there are certain situations that arise, certain things that happen, yeah, sometimes we do. Sometimes we have the right response and praise God, you're wonderful and all those things and God's going to get me through. But let's be honest, how many times have we been on the other side where we didn't choose to praise God in the moment when something major, horrific, when something earth-shattering, how many of us in the moment, our first response was, I'm grabbing a dagger, I'm not praising God? How many of us in, in the moment of he hearing something and feeling something totally freak out? How many of us have ever just totally freaked out in the moment because it seemed the moment was just going to be too big to bear? If we were standing there, I wonder, what would we say to Job? Man, that dude's got some issues. If, if all these bad things happen, happen to you, man, he must have demons in the closet, right? This guy, he must have some serious issues. He must have been mean to his parents. He must have been mean to his friends, his school teacher. He probably really was mean. He's probably just getting what he deserved. I wonder how many of us, if we saw, if we knew someone like this poor man, Job, what would we have said? What would be the first words out of our mouth? What would we say? What would we think? What would we feel? You know, as he's sitting there, his friends did show up. And his friends, they show up and they just can't believe it. His friends are dumbfounded. They're quiet. And so there's days. Nobody's talking. They're just listening and watching. This poor man, is, it looks like he's going to die. Like this is, and, and to think about it, and for a friend situation, like this is one of their good friends, knowing that he's one of the wealthiest people in this day. This is Bill Gates, right? This is the guy. This is him. And so as they see their friend, they probably never had seen anything this horrific to lose everything absolutely gone. All they could do at first is just be silent and watch. And how many of us have ever been in that situation when we know someone who's gone through something horrific? And at first, we just don't know the words to say. We just don't know the right thing to say. But then at some point, how many of us know, as we can be a knucklehead, and sometimes we have friends who are knuckleheads too, as his friends open their mouth, you know what they said? It's your fault you're suffering. It's your fault. Now, the crazy thing about this story is beginning when we started since Job was a blameless man. This guy's perfect, righteous. He was a believer. Says he feared God and stayed away from evil. And what does the, the one thing his best friends say? You must have sin in your heart. You must be a sinner. You need to repent. God, at the end, rebukes them. But let's be honest, 
How many of us have ever said those very same words too? When we know somebody going through a hard time, that's their first response too. They must be sinning in the closet. Woo! <laughs> They're hiding something in there because they couldn't be going through horrible things for no reason. Coffee break. You know, his friends, they were grieving with him. They listened to him. But when they spoke to him, they failed to see what was going on. We live in a day and age where, to be honest, we can't be that kind of friend anymore. Many of us in here, we misspeak on behalf of God at many times. There are so many times where we misspeak, we misspoke and say the very same thing. If someone is going through a difficult time, it must be their sin. They must have done something wrong. There's so many times that we can prejudge. We can look at all of our homeless that live in our valley and say they must be horrible people and done something so horrific. We as people, we can be so quick to judge. When we're out to eat and the server's rude, how many of us quick to judge them instead of asking, how's your day? Friends, they had every good intention to be wise and comforting. They sat there silent with their friend. They tried so hard. But the language that was used about them, they were narrow-minded, and they were incomplete in their understanding of God. And how many believers today God would say the very same thing. I need you to give wise advice, but you're incomplete in what you're trying to say. Incomplete. That's why it's important to read your Bible. That's why it's important to go from Genesis to Revelation. That's why it's important to understand God's plan beginning to end. The crazy thing about the Bible and the crazy thing about the story, God gave his only son to die on the cross. He was not just living a wonderful, pretty, rosy life while he was here. He suffered. He was persecuted. He was whipped so many times beyond count. Many people would have died in the amount of times that Jesus was whipped. Jesus said, if you come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Follow me. Meaning, leave your life, your past, every single thing behind you, except my word, and follow is it 100% accurate and true. There's a lot of things in the Bible that, for some reason, we just kind of have those, those foggy moments. Oh, yeah, what would God want me to do again? And so for his friends in this story, I'd say they're good friends. They tried, but they failed miserably. And we're in a time and a day where we can't, we can't do that anymore. If this is the end where God is coming back soon, when, when the whole half of the world is going to be blown up and who knows what's all going to happen, only God, then we need to be sure that we know what our Bible says so that we can give truthful advice from the Word of God. Not just sit there and, and band-aid people up. If you had a best friend who was going to get hit by a bus, would you warn them or watch them get run over? 
But if we fail to give people the truth, guess where they're going to go? To a place that's not so nice. So that's what his friend said. Now, what did his wife say? She says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. I love this response. Because which one of us, let's be honest, this isn't about a husband and wife in this moment. This is about the truth of God's word. And in every situation, it always takes two people to tango, right? And for the, for the wife in this story, she sees her husband lose everything, and she lost her 10 babies. That's a painful moment. She's probably thinking in her head, God's got it out for my man. Go ahead and take him. By all this, take the guy, right? I can't fault her for, for being in so much pain and grief in the moment that she says to him, can you, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. The interesting thing about this statement, though, see, the accuser, is he's standing before God, what did he say? I can get Job to curse you, God. So who did Job, who was closest to Job after all the animals, kids died? His wife. Who was Satan using in the moment to try and get Job to do the one thing? All Satan wanted to do, listen, all Satan wanted him to do is to curse God. That's it. And so it's not about men and women this morning. The devil will use whoever, whomever, in any moment, in church, out of church, in car, out of car, walking, jogging, bicycling, no matter where we go, no matter what we do at any given time. What is the devil, the accuser, looking to do? He's getting, and he wants to use any one of us at any moment to try to push somebody down, to knock somebody over. And in this moment in the story, he uses a woman who is sad and full of pain. Because sometimes with painful situations, that is the very moment when everything is tested and a painful moment to know how do I respond. The story of Job still speaks to us today, and there's so many things that this story has to say in 2023. And number one, life has ups and downs. Life throws curveballs, change-up pitches, right? There are babies being born, and there are people dying today. There is tragedy, there are storms, there is tests, there are trials. And you know what? Things that happen, it's not like they pick favorites. It's not like they pick who, who, ah. This person's pretty, so I'm going to knock him out today, right? This person's got a little more muscle than the other person, so let's beat him up. Life happens. And you know what happens when life happens? I can't tell you how many times as believers, believers, when life happens, the first thing is like, why is God doing this to me? Because I'm trying to be good, right? I'm trying to do the right thing, and then God's punishing me. Parents, we punish, right? Are we good at punishing? We love to punish our kids. We love to punish them and take stuff away and not let them shop and all that good stuff, right? We like to be mean. Just kidding. But in the moment of testing and trials, it's when your faith, it's when the faith, it's in the life, it's in the emotional, it's in the physical, it's in the spiritual moment that right then and there, the very first time you tested and tried, how 
do I respond? And to be honest with you, I think God tests us in certain moments to see the world watches. And if some tragedy happens to every one of us, if we break down and we throw daggers at somebody, people would say, I understand, they were hurt. Right? How many of us, when there's something hurtful, painful that happens to us and we share it to somebody, they sympathize, they feel for us. But it's not the response God's looking for. We live in this world. See, in this time of Job, believe it or not, see, Job, it looks like it's in the middle of the Bible, right? But it's actually in the beginning, close to the beginning of time. Job's, like, just past Adam and Eve. They had a white house with a picket fence. Well, they got kicked out of there. And then they went down to the hood and had a trailer, right? But after that, Job was there, just around the corner down the road. And here's this guy in the very, very beginning. And it said at this time, people were struggling to figure out life. They're trying to figure out God. They were trying to figure out how they fit in the world. Is it any different today? How many people are still trying to figure out, is there God? Is there no God? How many people are still trying to figure out their life in this place? How do I fit in this world? What is my purpose? What am I here for? It's the same thing that they were feeling back then. And so through pain and misery and tests and trials, life happens to everybody. And it doesn't pick on just one person. It picks on a lot of people. But sons and daughters, believers, through the greatest tragedy, that's when our voice should be the loudest. That's when people who are watching, yes, we could be sad and hurt and mourn and people would understand. But your voice in that moment could speak loud and clear and change lives But when tragedy hits. Secondly, for Job, he did not give up on God in this story, but he did not understand. He questioned when he's in pain his existence and why was I born? And he, he never cursed God. He never cursed God, but he was questioning why. He doesn't give up on God, but he questioned why. He struggled to know why. And you know what the crazy thing was? God was not going to give him that answer. He sat there in pain, in agony. And when something happens to us, isn't that, that the same thing that we're asking? Why? Why? How many of us have gone through something? And to be honest with you, that's the why that why we get stuck. Because we're wondering why. Why did this happen as a kid? Why did this happen then? Why did this happen here? Why did COVID happen? Why did I lose this? Why did I why? And the more we get stuck on wondering why, we never move forward because we're always asking why. And it's causing us to look back. In this story, we ask ourselves, as Job had to, does my faith and trust, is it based on what I have, or is it just based on you? And to be honest with you, when tests and trials come and hardship comes, it really separates people. Jesus said at the end of the time, there's going to be a great separation. It's called the sheep and the goats. He said to one side, there's going to be some sheep on this side, there's going to be some goats on this side. 
He said, at the end of the day, people will be separated. When I come back, people, there'll be a separation, and there's going to be people who are going to be called to my right, people who are going to be called to my left. Those who did, those who did good things, those who gave their life, those who gave without being asked, those who fed people, clothed people, gave water to people without being told what to do, naturally doing something. Jesus said, separated. And honestly, when something like this, Job, something like COVID, something horrific that happens to our world, it truly separates people. This is what I believe, or my belief, like an earthquake in, in shallow ground, crumbling. And how many people, like COVID, it's the, the enormous amount of people who left the church and have not come back to church because something horrific changed the world. Do we praise God more or less based on what we have? When we have thousands in the bank, millions, right, like all of us, when we have, when there is more there, does our praise seem to be louder or is it? And is it quieter based on what we have? If our faith and our praise and our worship is determined by what we have, God said, ah, I think it's time to go a little bit deeper. Do we follow? As human nature, why do we tend to follow God when life is good, but many people fall away when life is hard? Seems like situations in life like this, in this man's life, in this family's life, it either is going to bring our faith deeper or it's going to cause us to crumble. Job struggled physically, emotionally, spiritually, but not once did he curse God. And we see in this story the value of patience. It's not something any of us like to, you know, live by or want to go through, but we see the value of patience, perseverance, and holding our tongue. One of the greatest things that Job learned in this situation, the greatness of God far surpassed what he originally thought of God. He allowed in this situation as his faith explodes in this moment. And everything that happened in this moment, he saw God greater than he had ever seen God before. His devotion to God, which sustained him, the devotion that he had towards God, sustaining him through every painful waking moment that he had. Seeing, because Job saw it through, he saw God's faithfulness, he saw God's restoring power, and his goodness. In one minute, in just one breath as he lost everything. In just one breath as he lost everything, and one more breath, we're going to see here in a few minutes, he gets everything back. And so what do we walk away with this morning? Number one, God, we have to learn to fear him above every single thing. Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 26 says, don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time's coming that everything that is covered will be revealed. All that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you in the darkness, shot abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body and health.
And if we were honest this morning, which one of us hasn't feared another human being before? Which one of us hasn't feared a certain result or circumstance in life? And so one of the things that we see from the story that speaks so loud and powerfully, that God, we must fear him above anyone and anything. And even there are people who would say, maybe we should fear the devil. Oh my gosh, there are, there are Satan worshipers today. There are people who do worship the devil and worship Satan. There are people who, out of fear who think the devil is powerful. Does he have a little power? Who's in charge? How many of us as kids, we ever seen our kids act like a little, you know, macho and want to boss around and do things? But at the end of the day, in a home that has a mom and a dad, who's in charge? Mom and dad, right? The devil's cruising around, and he's accusing the brethren, the brothers and sisters, trying to knock people out with his dart gun. But at the end of the day, who is Almighty God? Who did God say, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body, soul, and hell. And at the same time, it's kind of a reminder that we know in the end, that if you're into the tribulation and the rapture, there are people who believe in pre-trib that the Christian church is going to get raptured before the end. And there are mid-tribbers. And those are people who believe that in the middle of the seven-year tribulation that people will be raptured, the church will be raptured right in the middle. Right as we're about to take a bite of chicken. <laughs> Gone. And then there's people who are post-trib who believe that Christians will see tribulation and persecution and hell on earth. And honestly, if any one of us were to ask, I think we'd say, let's all get behind the pre-trib, right? Let's, let's go before it gets ugly. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's God who has that call. And God threw all out the New Testament. Jesus, what did he say? You will be persecuted. Was he just speaking to the disciples? If we quote scripture and say, God is not only speaking to them, he's speaking to me. Would then that verse apply to us as well? And so there could come a time, and there already is persecution for Christians today. If we were to live radical for Jesus everywhere we go and everything that we do, you will be persecuted. People will look down on you. They will not want to hire you. They will not want to be around you. So there is persecution for Christians today, more than there ever has been before. If we are to preach the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, if we are to speak truth like we have never been speaking before, you will be persecuted because people won't like you. But it's only going to get worse. And so I wonder if, why, if that's why Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. Continue to fear only God. And in the, in the New Testament, Christians, they had to wrestle with lions, deny your faith in Jesus, or be consumed and have a wrestling match with a lion. I can't even imagine that. And I wouldn't want it for me, and I wouldn't want it for my wife and my kids, and I wouldn't want it for you either. But what if there does come a day where we have to be asked that question, deny God or you will pay? Will we crumble under the persecution and the fear of death? God is asking us that we have to remain strong no matter what. 
and we have to have courage because it's going to take a lot of courage for the day that we live in. I didn't even say, you know what, just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. James 1-2 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. For know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. When your endurance has a chance to grow, let it grow. For endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, and afterward they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The thing I like about the book of James, James is Jesus' half-brother. Because we know that Jesus was born from Mary, right? But not from Joseph. And so here's James, and he is Jesus' half-brother. And so James, he was a little bit strong, and he had a very strong message. There were certain things that he said as the Apostle Paul talked about grace. And yes, we are all saved by grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn the salvation of God so that no one can boast. Because let's be honest, if we could boast about our salvation, we would. We, that's the kind of people we are, right? And we'd like to boast about a lot of things. But James, he said, you know what? Talk is cheap. Ah, talk is cheap. He said, don't tell me that you believe in God. Show me. Show me. Show me what you got. So the half-brother of Jesus, man, he was a little more bold. He was, man, this guy was crazy. Let's stop talking about what we do, what we believe. Let's show the world what we believe. Let's show them what we got. Let's show them what we got. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples by one thing. What? By your love. And there's no greater love than for a person to lay down their life for a friend. And I don't think that Jesus was only meaning in that moment, like, we're just going to, you know, run out and, and get hit by the bus and push our friend out of the way. I think Jesus was saying, there's certain situations where you got to lay yourself down and watch your attitude in this moment and situation that you're in to help somebody out, to encourage somebody, to build somebody out. Instead of being concerned with what you want and how you look and are people addressing you and talking to you and making you feel good, for us to love people, we truly have to lay ourselves down. Third thing that we learn from the story, we can never give up and never give in, just like Job. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Verse 9, do not get tired of doing what is good. At the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And I don't know about you, but that's, you know, it's not that we live for promises and blessings and rewards. But one thing that Paul says in Galatians, don't get tired of doing what's good. Because at the right time, turn to your neighbor and say, at the right time, the right time, 
you will reap the harvest that God has for you. And so this morning, as we get ready to wrap up, I want to close with a story, Job 42, and how his life ends. Job 42, starting in verse 1. Job 42, verse 1. <clears throat> Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things that I knew nothing about, things that were far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak, and I have some questions for you, then you must answer them. I had only heard about you before. Job says, I've only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. After the Lord finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Take seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job. Offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shudhite, and Zophar the Namahite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. All his brothers and sisters, former friends, of course, now they all come out and feast with him in his home. They consoled him and they comforted him because of all the trials God had brought against him. And each of them brought him gift of money and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed Job and his wife in the second half of their life more than the beginning, for he now had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, and he gave them seven more sons and three more daughters. And I don't know about you, but how many of us, we like a happy ending? And honestly, for Job, as painful as it was, his life ended on a happy note. And for some of us in here this morning, that's my hope and that's our prayer for every one of us, that your life ends on a happy note. That, you're, that you're, if you're married, that your marriage, that your life, that your family, that your kids, that it ends on a happy note. That everywhere we go, that everything that we do is our story. See, Job's story, what does it do? It speaks a thousand words. Job's story that we just read in quick, it speaks so many different things to us today, thousands of years later. But at the same time, your life will speak as well. And your life speaks today things that we should do and things probably that we shouldn't do as well. How we respond, how we believe, how we trust. And there's not in here any perfect person we all have good days, we all have bad days, but one of the things that we do is we walk away from this story today knowing every situation that we go through the rest of our life. Let us not ask why, 
If God's not going to give us an answer, help us to just keep moving forward. To everyone watching, did the devil, did it seem like maybe he won maybe a little small battle in this story? Everyone thinking in this that maybe, you know, seeing Job suffer in pain and all the misery that happened, that maybe, you know, the devil got a little battle. The thing that we have to remind ourselves every single day, we allow him sometimes to win little battles in our life too because we cave in. But at the end of the day, it's God who's going to be faithful. It's God who's going to redeem. It's God who's going to deliver. It's God who's going to get us through the faith in what we have in God. Lastly, we, we see friends in this story, and we've talked about it a little bit this morning. Make sure that you're the kind of friend, partly like Job's friends, comforting, grieving, listening. But then they couldn't share the truth. Be that friend who's comforting and listens, loving, kind, gracious. Let's be honest this morning with friends. How many of us, we love friends. If our friends, you know, came up to us every single day and slapped us in the face, how many of us would not probably hang around with that friend anymore? But there's people that we come into contact with that your words and my words, that's what it feels like. They're not kind. They're not loving. They're not kind. They're not gracious. The kind of person, a man and woman, that God has asked you, me, to be forgiving, loving, gracious, kind. Yes, truthful. Love first, right? Jesus was full of grace and truth. So be the friend that God needs you to be. Be the friend that God needs you to be. Let your actions, let your love, let the truth speak louder than anything else. This morning, my title was called Just a Little While Longer. And I wonder this morning for us here, for those who are here and those who are also watching, is there anything that we would say, God, I hope something good's around the corner. I don't know how much more I can take. And I wonder for us who are thinking and feeling, how many of us have gone through in those moments and in those times, whether it's for us, whether it's for somebody that we know that we say, I just don't know how much more I can take. And so for this story, the one thing, the, the two things, tell yourself, tell your friend, it's just going to be a little bit more. It's just around the corner. What God's about to do is just around the corner. Let's pray.